0: I'm for Ohio. I don't kiss anyone's ass like him. Ohio needs an ass kicker, not an ass kisser. Ouch. Well done, Tim Ryan.
1: Keep up the good work.
0: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. Oh, nope, it. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs clouds to
2: the left of me jokers
0: to the right
1: here i am stuck in the middle with
0: you yeah hi
1: from pacifica radio in los angeles this is the bradcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm people powered radio in la also in california in red bluff and redding on kfoi round mountains kkrn and eureka's kgoe Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internet's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com. Yes, fighting to defend and even save your constitutional democracy now, less than one month from this year's critical midterm elections. Thank you very much for joining us today on the broadcast. Glad to have you here. Well, here we go. The U.S. Supreme Court on Tuesday sided with an unsuccessful Republican candidate for a judgeship in Pennsylvania and threw out a lower appeals court ruling that had allowed the counting of mail-in ballots in the race that he had wanted to exclude simply because voters had neglected to write the date on the absentee ballot envelope. Never mind that nobody is questioning even the legitimacy of the actual ballots which in some cases where they weren't you know dropped off by hand they might have had postmarks on them before election day but if the if the voter forgot to write the date that the ballot was filled out on the outside secrecy envelope or got confused and wrote their birth date or something as uh, sometimes voters do well those ballots should not have been counted According to our corrupt, packed and stolen right wing supermajority on the nation's highest court. Also, by the way, forget about the appeals court ruling, which actually, you know, considered the details of this issue versus the Supreme Court, which simply overruled them pretty much just because. The justices vacated the ruling by the Philadelphia-based Third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals as requested by David Ritter, who lost his 2021 bid uh, for a spot on the Lehigh County Court of Common Pleas to a Democratic rival by just five votes after 257 absentee ballots without date notations on their secrecy envelope were counted in that race so it was in fact you know those ballots that ended up losing this election for this republican i can understand he's upset about it but uh what it means is the high court's action uh, means that the third circuit ruling cannot be used as a precedent in the three states that are covered by this regional federal appellate court that includes pennsylvania new jersey and delaware uh, they will not be allowed to count ballots with uh, minor flaws, like the voter failing to fill in the date on the envelope. No more. Now, vacating the rule, the ruling of the lower court does not change Ritter's loss in the race. He Good. is Still, well, he is still determined to have lost, and the and the Democrat uh, won in this race. Nonetheless, this ruling is ridiculous, and frankly. Should offer a chill to you today, Desi Doyen, uh, in regards to how far this corrupt Supreme Court is willing to go to overturn both common sense and longstanding precedent. This wasn't just, you know, some undecided question that was, you know, coming for the first time. Hmm. If if they don't put a date on the ballot, should we count that ballot? No, this has all been figured out before and it's only now being changed. By this Supreme Court, the Third Circuit Court of Appeals had ruled that invalidating the undated ballots would violate a provision of a landmark 1960 federal uh, 64 federal law that you might have heard of called the Civil Rights Act, which is aimed at ensuring that minor ballot errors do not deny someone the right to vote, a minor ballot error like, you know, not filling in the date on the secrecy envelope. That, of course, would be a minor error as per the Civil Rights Act. But because, you know, nobody is actually challenging that these votes were were fraudulent, they, of course, should have been counted. Uh, They're only challenging that the voter, while filling it out, signing it, signing it, the signatures were there, including all of the needed, you know, ID, the signatures. uh, All the
2: stuff that would prove that this voter is legal, registered, and is who they say they are. Right,
1: but they simply forgot to include the date in the space provided to write that down, which I I, I don't even believe is is even on all absentee ballot envelopes uh, in every state.
2: So it would be a totally legal ballot denied on a technicality because of little measures that trip up and trick voters.
1: And thankfully, the uh, appellate court said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to throw out these legitimate ballots. The Supreme Court said, yes, you are. So uh, this requirement happens to be on the envelope in Pennsylvania and voters there forgot to fill it in or they got confused. They put their birthday there for, you know, that uh, from now on, those votes will be disqualified. According to the U.S. Supreme Court, despite the nearly 60 year old landmark civil rights law established by Congress, signed by the president and clearly specifying otherwise. Under Pennsylvania law, voters are required to write the date on the outer envelope of the ballot. The Third Circuit Appeals Court found that the requirement is, quote, immaterial to determining their qualifications as voters. In his appeal, however, Ritter argued that mail-in ballot rules improve election administration and deter fraud. (laughs) The U.S. Supreme Court in June denied Ritter's bid to block the counting of the undated ballots originally. Far-right Republican uh, justices Sam Alito, Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch dissented from that decision. Alito wrote that the Third Circuit uh, uh, ruling, quote, could well affect the outcome of elections this year. Well, yeah, he's right on that point. But the fact is, Not counting those ballots can also affect the outcome of the elections this year. And frankly, it doesn't matter to me which way they are affected, uh, Republican or Democratic or anything else. What really troubles me here is that voters of any party will have their votes tossed for no good reason at all. And, by the way, in violation of the long settled Federal Civil Rights Act. Ritter told the Supreme Court that unless the Third Circuit ruling was wiped off the books, it would allow undated mail-in ballots to be counted in future elections. Oh, heaven forfend in Pennsylvania. And it would, quote, threaten to invalidate countless regulations of mail-in voting nationwide. Pennsylvania Republican legislators, of course, echoed Ritter's warning. Never mind that it threatens to invalidate countless ballots of voters. These Republic legitimate voters, these Republicans who usually pretend to hate regulations, don't they hate regulations? Now they're suddenly worried that the lower court's ruling would, quote, invalidate countless regulations.
2: Well, obviously one. Can never go wrong, depending on Republicans' hypocrisy.
1: (laughs) Correct. The Civil Rights Act provision at issue prohibits officials from disqualifying a voter's ballot for any error that is, quote, not material to determining whether the person was qualified to vote, such as their age or their citizenship, etc. Yes, they must be a citizen to vote, but their vote can't be tossed simply because somebody forgot to check the box that says, I am a U.S. citizen. At least that used to be the law until the far right activist justices on the Supreme Court invalidated that today. Essentially, they can throw out any uh, ballot they want for any reason they want if it's not filled out perfectly is the way they would like it to be filled out. The Civil Rights Act was written to target practices exactly like this. They were common in southern states during the Jim Crow era. They would use minor ballot mistakes to block black people from voting. But Jim Crow is now back, baby. I guess fundamental rights can only be protected for so long. Pennsylvania Republican legislators in a filing to the Supreme Court said the Third Circuit's ruling threatened an orderly election this November. A number of right-wing voter fraud fraudster groups also urged the justices to vacate the Third uh, Third Circuit's ruling, and so the corrupt right-wing justices did so. And given how uh, 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 how close many of the races around the country could be this year, do not be surprised if this ruling ends up affecting the results of an election. Again, uh, for Republicans or for Democrats. But more importantly, if you're ticked off like me about perfectly legitimate votes from perfectly legitimate voters being tossed due to technicalities that have no material effect on the legitimacy or timeliness of their votes, Well, if that's how you feel, if you share that feeling, you should do absolutely everything that you can to ensure that Democrats hold the U.S. House and pick up two seats in the U.S. Senate so that they can have the majority needed to both pass the Freedom to Vote Act and, as importantly, expand the corrupt and stolen U.S. Supreme Court to 13 justices in order to unpack the stolen Republican majority that controls it today. We'll have uh, more on some of those critical Senate races shortly today. In not unrelated news uh, when it comes to protecting our elections in a very uh, different but also critical way, there was uh, news from the FBI that appears to be good ish news but desi i am not sure okay i've read this story a few times i'm not sure that i have much confidence in it at all frankly on several different levels this via usa today federal authorities have identified no credible threats to u.s elections systems despite persistent efforts by foreign adversaries including russia to amplify disinformation about voter fraud and election integrity, according to senior FBI officials last week. Now, the focus of this coverage, what these FBI officials had to say, seemed to focus on foreign adversaries. We spent a lot of time on this program discussing the threat from domestic adversaries of democracy, Republicans who have breached voting systems all around the country, Since the 2020 presidential election, finding uh, no doubt, finding ways to make it easier, if they wish, to manipulate the uh, results of our computerized voting and tabulation systems. So I have those concerns. The FBI, at least uh, in this article, did not speak to that. A month before the anticipated midterm vote, the officials said they were, however, closely monitoring potential threats to election workers in the U.S. Well, that's good. That after local officials reported a wave of harassment and abuse before and after and ever since the 2020 presidential election. Since June of 2021, the Federal Elections Threat Task Force Yes, that is now a thing. Did Good. you know that? I did not. I don't think I did either. The, the Elections Threat Task Force, it's a federal thing, has now reviewed more than 1,000 reports. About 11% of those actually met the threshold for federal investigations, so far resulting in four arrests. So 1,000 reports, 11% of them met the threshold for investigations, that's a little more than a hundred of them. And so far, we've had just four arrests. So, again, uh, good news, bad news sort of thing. The bulk of the uh, potentially criminal threats involved were to election workers in seven states. Arizona, Georgia, Colorado, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Wisconsin. Just coincidentally, I'm sure, but those are states where the 2020 uh, election was particularly close and involved post-election challenges. I know, just a coincidence. In August Donald Trump appointed FBI Director Christopher Wray, expressed deep concern for rising violence driven by an array of domestic grievances from election related disputes to lingering anger following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn the landmark abortion rights case Roe v. Wade. Nice both sidesing it there, Christopher (laughs) Wray. At the time, Ray called election and politically motivated violence, quote, almost a 365 day phenomenon, an outgrowth of the country's deep divide of the Supreme Court's recent abortion decision. He said tensions continue to run high. Sure, tensions, tensions continue to run high. But do we have, you know, recorded records of hundreds, if not thousands of threats to officials Opposing the Supreme Court ruling, overturning Roe v. Wade? Maybe we do. I don't know. If so, I certainly haven't heard them. I have, on the other hand, heard hundreds, if not thousands, of recordings of MAGA Trump terrorists threatening election officials in no uncertain terms. We could do an entire hour of them on this show. We won't. You're welcome. But here's just a few of them uh, to sort of help refresh your memory, maybe help refresh Christopher Ray's memory. I don't know. This one is a threat to election officials late last year in November and December of 2021. That's a full year after the 2020 presidential election. And these are to an elected uh, or, or to election officials in Vermont Of all places, not exactly a hotbed of battleground state election challenges.
0: You are done. This might be a good time to put a pistol in your mouth and pull the trigger. If you are any part of this fraud, do you understand? Do you realize there's a reason we just brought back the firing squad? no more painless lethal injection from now on the firing squad or poison gas both are torturous deaths if you are in on this let me tell you what your days are numbered
1: and here's another one to richard Barron, the election director of fulton county georgia that's most of atlanta Uh, in June of last year. So again, about six months after the 2020 election, I guess I want to say, hey, at least this was uh, Georgia where there was uh, a close election, unlike Vermont.
3: Time's running out, Richard. We're coming after you and every mother that stole this election with our Second Amendment. Subpoenas be damned. You're going to be served lead, you
0: f***ing enemy communist You will be served lead.
1: You know, maybe there are similar threats out there to officials somewhere from people that are angry that the stolen right wing Supreme Court majority took away privacy rights and reproductive freedoms by overturning Roe v. Wade. Maybe they're uh, recorded somewhere. If they are, I don't know about them. On the other hand, like I said, I can share hundreds, if not thousands of Those of what you just heard, calls to election officials, never mind the letters, the written threats, just the calls that these people were dumb enough to leave on the answering machines when they called these election officials, threatening to kill them and everything else. In any event... After both sidesing the issue, uh, the FBI director Christopher Wray told the Senate Judiciary Committee over the summer, "quote I feel like every day I'm getting briefed on somebody throwing a Molotov cocktail at someone for some issue. It's crazy. I wonder what what those issues could possibly be. I wonder why they're throwing Molotov cocktails at people. Who knows?" Uh, maybe, maybe it's elections. Maybe it's abortion. Hey, there's just so much divisiveness out there right now, does? At uh, least according to the know, FBI on both director. Both sides, yeah. But as to the known threats to actual election systems themselves, as as officials on the FBI's elections threat task force characterized it uh, last week according to USA Today there was no evidence that election systems had been targeted by a cyber campaign aimed at disrupting operations or manipulating results that's encouraging to hear i think but as usual i remain uh, dubious that these guys are actually giving us the straight story and or actually that they understand the threat that is posed to elections given the type of voting systems that we and tabulation systems that we currently use as usa today tells it a significant compromise of such decentralized local election systems in the country would be quote very difficult the officials say and now sure that may may uh, maybe be arguably true if we were dealing for example with a national election a presidential election yeah it would be difficult to change all of those systems all across the country they are decentralized it would not however be difficult to change the results in a single county or even in a single state like Georgia, where every single county in the state is controlled by the state itself. Every single uh, voting system is actually programmed in one place. But that's with the national election. Uh, November eight coming up, the midterms, is not a national election. In fact, it is a series of local decentralized election systems that can absolutely be compromised in numerous ways to affect the results in such a way that no one is likely to ever notice. And it is troubling to me, at least, uh, that the FBI either doesn't realize that or they don't want to uh, alarm the public. I think it's unhelpful, frankly, if they do realize that, but they're trying to assuage you know, fears among the public about, you know, the potential for the manipulation of the results. I don't know about you, but I prefer my government. Just tell me the truth. I can handle it. Uh, Still, uh, says USA Today, authorities were tracking attempted efforts by Russia, China and Iran to wage their own attempts at sowing distrust and promoting conspiracy theories aimed at disrupting the vote. Russia Uh, according to the officials, has done the most to amplify the message of so-called election deniers, those Donald Trump supporters who continue to spread false and evidence-free claims of fraud in the in the 2020 election. So that report from USA Today came just days then before this one via the Department of Justice, the Justice Department announced on Thursday night the arrest of an Iowa man, an Iowa man who pro- uh, prosecutors allege had sent death threats to an election official in Maricopa County, Arizona, which is Phoenix, and the uh, largest county in the state. According to the indictment, 64-year-old Mark A. Reesey of Hiawatha, Iowa, Allegedly sent two voicemails to Maricopa County Supervisor Clint Hickman, who, by the way, is a lifelong Republican, calling for him to be hanged. I believe it was not unlike uh, some of those that we've just played to. As I said, we have a whole bunch more. Probably could find that one from this guy, Mark Reese. We are going to hang you, he allegedly said in the voicemail sent to Hickman in late September of 2021 he'd also allegedly called Hickman again a lifelong Republican he called him quote a stupid lying commie and said that the election official was going to die in another voicemail allegedly sent in early December of uh, last year Reese allegedly told Hickman quote do your job or you will hang with those expletive in the end We will see to it. Torches and pitchforks. That's your future expletive. He then accused Hickman of having evidence proving, quote, conspirators deleted data from the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors computer system. Prosecutors allege uh, regarding the uh, 2020 election. Maricopa County, Arizona, of course, was the site of the highly publicized and ridiculous partisan so-called Forensic election audit led by the buffoonish clowns calling themselves cyber ninjas in 2021 after the former president falsely claimed that the area was rife with voter fraud. What the ninjas found, however, Uh, uh, Though their secretly run so-called audit was found to be a joke, uh, what they found with, you know, ridiculously unreliable and even made up numbers, according to experts, is that, well, Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump by even more than was originally certified by Maricopa County. Hickman serves as the county uh, the chair of the county board of supervisors, which. Uh, As I recall, are all Republicans. There might be one Democrat on it, but mostly there it's definitely majority Republican. Hickman serves as the chair. Trump had reached out to him twice after the election to try to persuade him to investigate the county further. Like he did on that call to uh, Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state of Georgia. In this case, however, Hickman uh, reportedly and smartly let the calls go to voicemail. (laughs) Good for him.
2: Yes, that was very smart.
1: On Thursday, uh, Hickman said in a statement that Reese's voicemails were, quote, chilling. He said this wasn't a prank call. This wasn't protected speech. This was a serious threat to me and my family. A Republican and, by the way, self-proclaimed Trump voter, Hickman has faced a wave of death threats since the election for refusing to fold under pressure from Trump and his allies to find more votes for Trump uh, for. uh, Yeah, for Trump. He said, I've received numerous threats over the past two years in his uh, statement on Thursday. My colleagues on the board have as well. The county recorder, who, by the way, is also a Republican, he wasn't even in that job. During the 2020 election, that's when he was actually elected to it. And worst of all, Hickman said county elections staff doing their job honorably are getting calls and emails threatening violence, calling them traitors. It's despicable, he said. But I'm sure someone somewhere is getting similar calls regarding the Supreme Court overturning abortion. Am I right, FBI Director Ray? It's all the same. Reese's case was overseen by the Justice Department's Election Threat Task Force, the collaborative effort by several divisions within the department and FBI offices around the country to investigate the influx of threats against election officials and poll workers in recent years. The initiative was launched by President Biden's Deputy Attorney General, Lisa Monaco, in June of 2021, And frankly, not a moment too soon. Hopefully there will be many, many more of these arrests and indictments, given how many calls that there were. Hickman said in the statement, I'm grateful to the Department of Justice and the FBI for taking this case seriously and making arrests. I'm pleased the U.S. Attorney General has set up a task force to address increased threats of violence to election workers and election officials. Me too. Reese was indicted on two counts of making threatening interstate communications and one count of making a threatening phone call. But there need to be hundreds more of these. Perhaps there will be. I know the FBI and DOJ have been exceedingly busy over the past year or two.
2: Yeah, just a little.
1: But hopefully, they will get caught up, and hopefully, cases like this uh, this uh, indictment of this uh, Mark Reese dude uh, will help send a message to those who uh, may do the exact same thing following the upcoming critical midterm elections. Speaking of which, let's take a break, and we will come back to talk about some of the politics of those elections, specifically two different critical U.S. Senate races, which both held debates. On Monday night, that and Desi Doyen's latest Green News report are all ahead on today's Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Run, baby, run. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Bradblog.com commenter Don L. writes in to say in response to our recent show about whether Florida voters will hold their elected officials like Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Marco Rubio, whether they'll be held accountable in this year's midterm elections following the unspeakable devastation of Hurricane Ian. Given the Republicans' years of misinforming Florida residents about the all-too-real dangers of climate change, global warming, which, yes, juiced Hurricane Ian to cause much more damage to the state than it otherwise might have, well, Don L. is skeptical that voters in the great state of Florida will hold those Republicans accountable, writing, quote, peers would rather be abused by a gop peer." than actually helped materially by a Democrat. It's a built-in character flaw, he adds.
2: That's pretty pretty concise and That's a, precise. Yeah,
1: right? Good way to put it. Yeah. Of course, uh, much of that depends on whether Florida voters are going to be able to vote at all this year, as we discussed on our previous broadcast with the uh, legendary 30-year Leon County, Florida Supervisor of Elections, Ion Sancho, if you missed... That discussion and his concerns about whether they're going to be able to have legitimate elections in all at all just about four weeks from now. Well, you can download that show from bradblog.com for free. thanks to those who donate via bradblog.com/ donate. Longtime listeners to this program know, however, that we tend to focus more on the track conditions like that, like whether people can vote or not, than we do on the actual horse races. But as we get closer to the November 8 midterms, it should be noted, Democrats are running some pretty good horses this year. (laughs) While the U.S. House and who ends up in control of it really is a horse race, more like a jump ball or a crapshoot at this point, given how close... It could be. It's actually it's a bit easier to sort of wrap our brains, at least, around the Senate races and how those might shape up to determine control of the upper chamber of Congress, which is currently 50 50. But it's a Democratic majority because the tie breaking vote is the president of the Senate, who is the vice president, who happens to be a Democrat at this time. It is the smallest of uh, the thinnest, the narrowest of margins, of majority margins possible in the in the Senate. We've discussed how important it is for a host of reasons that Democrats hold the majority control of both the House and the Senate this year, but that they also need to pick up at least two seats in the U.S. Senate so they can do a number of things after having enough votes to modify to or get rid of entirely the dumb anti-democratic senate filibuster rule which essentially means that 60 votes are needed to pass almost anything and which also means that you know with reform with I'm sorry without reform it is all but impossible to pass Uh, A bunch of much needed legislation like voting rights and election reforms and codifying into federal law the privacy rights and reproductive freedoms that were taken away when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And oh, yeah, expanding the corrupt, stolen and packed Supreme Court in the first place in order to restore balance after the GOP essentially stole three seats to obtain their current 6-3 to supermajority on the court under Donald Trump. Well, right now, there are essentially about, as I count them anyway, about five U.S. Senate seats that Democrats could flip from red to blue in November if things go their way, generally speaking. And there are about two seats that Republicans could flip from blue to red if things go their way. So... The odds are good for Democrats, in theory, for U.S. Senate pickups this year. But there are a whole lot of factors in play there that we we discuss quite a bit when we talk about the track conditions that the horses are running on, including, you know, new voting restrictions by GOP vote suppressors and voting systems that lack transparency and can be Gamed or simply misprogrammed in error to affect election results. But all seven of the Senate races that I'm referring to really could go either way. They are all pretty much that close. The seats that I see as generally flippable from red to blue in, the, uh, in favor of the Democrats include Pennsylvania where Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman is running uh, ahead of Dr. Mehmet Oz in a race that, like all of these, has been tightening in recent days. Wisconsin, with Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes running against incumbent Republican Senator Ron Johnson. Ohio, where Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan is running against author J.D. Vance. North Carolina, believe it or not, where former state Supreme Court Justice Sherry Beasley is running a very competitive race against Republican Congressman Ted Budd. I think, by the way, that could be the sleeper flip for Democrats this year. We'll see.
2: That would be poetic, if so.
1: And, yes, a uh, longer stretch, but uh, after Hurricane Ian, frankly, who knows, uh, in Florida, where Congresswoman and uh, former Orlando Police Chief Val Demings is running against incumbent GOP Senator Marco Rubio. So, five seats, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, North Carolina, and Florida, which I see as flippable, whether they'll flip or not, we don't know, from currently uh, being held by Republicans to... Uh, Being taken by Democrats, Uh, those are what I see as the most flippable seats in any event from red to blue for Democrats. For Republicans, they have a realistic chance of flipping a Democratic Senate seat from blue to red in just two states in general. Nevada, for one, uh, which I think is the uh, sleeper state for uh, Republicans to get their flip this year. Republican State Attorney General Adam Laxalt is in a neck-and-neck race right now with incumbent Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Mastro. And in Georgia, where it is still stunningly close, uh, at least according to pre-election polls, uh, in the um, former football pro and congenital liar Herschel Walker's race to try and unseat the excellent Democratic Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock. In Georgia, there are some other longer shots on both sides, and the pre election polls, by the way, could be way, way off this year for any number of reasons. But those are the main flippable seats right now for each side, as I see it, at least according to the latest polling numbers, if you buy into that sort of thing. So while I say, We generally focus more on the track conditions that the horse races are running on instead of on the horses themselves and and the races themselves. Democrats really are running some good horses. And uh, this year, and at least the Senate in most of these cases, the Republicans decidedly are not. There were two Senate debates held on Monday night, one in Ohio and one in Wisconsin. Both resulted in what I thought were some pretty impressive showings for the Democratic candidates. I want to share a few clips here in case you were unable to catch that debate or catch these clips. In the Ohio race, let's start there, between Congressman Tim Ryan, a pretty conservative blue-collar Democrat who has gone up against his own party on several occasions, and J.D. Vance, the author and the, uh, well, Donald Trump's personal pick for that Buckeye State Senate nomination to fill the seat of retiring Ohio Republican Rob Portman. The difference between those two candidates was pretty stark, I thought, in that debate, and apparently the Republican candidate, Vance, thought he did so poorly that he didn't even stick around to spin afterwards. No,
2: he did not. He uh, ran away. He
1: ra- ran out. Like uh, Josh Hawley on January 6th. There you go. Uh, and given, frankly, given some of the clips, I can see why. As as we go to air, the uh, 538 average of pre-election polls in this race has Tim Ryan up over J.D. Vance by 0.3%, so essentially about as dead of a heat as, as close of a contest as you can possibly get in, in otherwise Republican-leaning Ohio. Here's Tim Ryan on what Vance, what he says Vance had to do to get the endorsement and hold it from Donald Trump in the first place.
0: Like just a few weeks ago in, in Youngstown, on the stage, uh, Donald Trump said to J.D. Vance, all you do is kiss my ass to get my support. He said that. That's bad because that means J.D. Vance is going to do whatever he wants. Mitch McConnell's given him $40 million, He's going to do what he wants. And Peter Thiel gave him $15 million, He's going to do what he wants. And here's the thing that's most troubling about this, lack of courage, is that after Trump took J.D. Vance's dignity from him on the stage in Youngstown. J.D. Vance got back up on stage and said, start shaking his hand, taking pictures, saying, hey, aren't we having a great time here tonight? I don't know anybody I grew up with, I don't know anybody I went to high school with that would allow somebody to take their dignity like that and then get back up on stage. We need leaders who have courage to take on their own party. And I've proven that. And he was called an ass kisser by the former president. (laughs)
2: Meow. (laughs) Yeah,
1: uh, but he's absolutely right. He went on to say we we need an ass. What did he say?
2: We need an ass kicker, not an ass kisser. kisser. Yeah, and he's
1: right on the money, by the way. And I'm glad he pulled out that whole point about dignity and about giving up dignity for Donald Trump, because that is precisely what Donald Trump is about. He is about taking away anyone's dignity that's what he does with absolutely everyone that he has ever worked with tries to take away their dignity and he has successfully done so uh with jd vance uh he did it on stage at a rally that was supposed to be for jd vance Here's another. Tim Ryan called out J.D. Vance for what uh, he described as a fake charity that Vance set up theoretically to battle the opioid crisis as Vance was running for the GOP Senate nomination.
0: You know what I haven't done? I didn't start a fake nonprofit pretending like I was going to help people with addiction like J.D. Vance did. Literally started a nonprofit and didn't spend one nickel on anybody. In fact, he brought in somebody from Purdue Pharma to be the spokesperson for the nonprofit. The same drug company, Big Pharma, the big drug company that had all the pill mills going, got everybody addicted, one million people died, JD. This 1 million people died and you started a nonprofit to try to take advantage of people in Ohio and you know what all you did with it was launch your political career his so- campaign manager worked for that nonprofit he ran a poll to check his own standing from that nonprofit I'm not going to take a backseat to you or anybody else on fentanyl drugs or immigration or anything else somebody
1: good for Tim Ryan
2: yeah uh,
1: and, and then there was this from Ryan in response to uh, Vance's and really the Republican Party's effort to run this year as being tough on crime and in support
0: of law enforcement. The fact that on January 6th, we had 140 cops, United States Capitol Police, get injured during the insurrection when they tried to overthrow the government, beat them upside the head with lead pipes. Spray him with pepper spray. The one video we saw, the cop got jammed into the, the door, right? J.D. Vance raised money for the legal defense fund of the insurrectionists. This is the kind of extremism, JD, that we wholly reject. You have video posts, don't even try to deny it. We got we got your we got your Twitter posts and everything else. Everybody's seen it. He said, help these guys with their legal defense fund. Now you can you imagine one guy saying out of one side of his mouth he's pro-cop, and out of the other side of his mouth he's raising money for the insurrectionists who are beating up the Capitol police. The one guy he tried to raise money for got four years in prison. This is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And uh,
1: Tim Ryan is, well... In fact, kicking ass in Ohio, yes. at least so far. I thought that was unwinnable for a Republican, uh, for a Democrat months ago. Now it looks completely winnable for Tim Ryan. Don't screw this up, Ohio.
2: It is really nice to see a Democrat take the fight and prosecute yes. the actions of yes. Republicans in this. This yes. is something I i hope that other Democrats will learn from. Uh, take it to them. And Tim
1: Ryan is doing that. And by the way, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, policy and politics that I do not agree with Tim Ryan on. Right. But, boy, hey, Ohio, uh, Columbus, WGNR, GRN uh, listeners out there, make it happen, will ya? Meanwhile, in Wisconsin, (laughs) Senator Ron Johnson uh, has been uh, seen as one of the most vulnerable Republicans to have to defend a seat this year in the U.S. Senate. Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, a more progressive Democrat easily than Tim Ryan in Ohio, had a fairly com- comfortable lead over Johnson during the summer in August and, and into September. But the race has not only tightened up, Johnson is now said to be ahead of Barnes by just over two points, according to 538's polling average. Though, given the way polling works, frankly, that's essentially still within the margin of error and pretty much a neck and neck race if Democrats turn out to vote this year. Here's an exchange from their debate on Monday night in Wisconsin, where, again, Johnson and the Republicans are trying to pretend to be friends of the police while claiming that Democrats are not and Mandela
0: Barnes was not having it. Whenever I see a police officer, I go up to him and I say, thank you for your service. And if I have time, I say, please don't be dispirited by the loud few who are trying to defund you.
3: The senator on the last question did mention, you know, police officers. Now, with that being said, I'm sure he didn't have the same interaction with the 140 officers that were injured during the January 6th insurrection. One officer was stabbed with a metal stake, another crushed between a revolving door, another hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. So when we talk about respect for law enforcement, let's talk about the 140 officers that he left behind because of an insurrection that he supported. Boom. And Ron Johnson did
1: support that. And he did, uh, you know, he has minimized it in the years since. Oh, it was nothing. It was just, a, you know, a bunch of tourists at the Capitol. He did, however, say that uh, he wasn't ever particularly worried for his life, though he would have been had it been BLM who had attacked the Capitol. For some reason, Ron Johnson was concerned about that as he's running against Mandela Barnes, an African-American. In any event, anything, of course, to not talk about things like the right to abortion that the GOP's Supreme Court took away from Americans after it had been well established as a constitutional right for 50 years. And Ron Johnson is just fine with that right being taken away from Americans.
3: Now, the senator called the overturning of Roe v. Wade a victory. He celebrated the Dobbs decision, and he said that if women don't like the laws of their state, like the 1849 criminal abortion ban we have here, he said they can move. I can't think of a more callous, out-of-touch, or extreme position to take. If I were in the U.S. Senate, I would absolutely vote to codify Roe versus. Wade to protect the right to an abortion and the right to choose into law once and for all to protect women's rights.
1: And you see, he's not messing around there, Mandela Barnes. No. He's not saying, oh, I would certainly consider anything that came forward. He's saying, I absolutely would change the law to codify those rights into a federal statute. Good for him. Finally, for now, uh, the race began to move in Ron Johnson's direction in, uh, only in recent weeks, after a barrage of television spots, playing on the fact, frankly, that Barnes is black. And and tying him to a supposed uh, increase in crime in in the Badger State and, and finding other ways to appeal to racists with dog whistles, you know, without being overtly and obviously racist about it. Mandela Barnes had a thought or two on that.
3: Well, I actually uh, embrace one of the characterizations in one of the ads that they put out, either Senator Johnson or one of his allies. It ends by saying Mandela Barnes different. I embrace that because we don't have enough working class people in the United States Senate. The Senate is broken. Senator Johnson is one of the worst parts of a broken system, a person who has been in it for himself and his wealthy donor. Sure, if you're a multimillionaire, he'll look out for you. But if you're a working class person, it might not be so easy. That's the unfortunate reality. People are continuing to be left behind. And that's exactly why I'm running right now. Our lives and our livelihoods are on the line at this very moment. Our seniors have to live with the threat of Social Security and Medicare being cut. Working people have to live under the threat of their jobs being shipped overseas. Women have to live with the threat of their most personal decisions being interrupted by politicians. That's what's on the line right now. But I believe better is possible. I believe hard work can pay off and we can give everyone a fair shot at the American dream. He's very good, too.
1: He is. (laughs) And whether I agree with all of their positions or not, they are running some very good candidates this year. Republicans, on the other hand, decidedly are not. The only question now is who is going to get their voters out? Will they be able to vote? And will their votes be counted as cast? There is a lot on the line this year, as we have been reporting. Desi Doyen underscores that. Still more next in our latest Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Right to say there's a lot on the line this year, Desi, going in oh, these elections? you
2: are absolutely right.
1: And you're not just saying that because you feel you're better? I am absolutely not here. saying that. <laughs> okay. I'm saying
2: it because it is true. It is true. We are fighting for our future and the future of everyone who will live in all future generations. That's what this election is about.
1: That's all that's at stake. No pressure. No pressure, as made clear once again in our latest Green News report.
2: They're saying I don't meet the requirements, so what's the requirements when you lost everything? Floridians devastated by Hurricane Ian confront a housing shortage and mold. Extreme heat and drought could render regions uninhabitable within decades, says United Nations. Plus...
1: The fact is, they're ripping you off.
2: California weighs a windfall profits tax on oil industry price gouging. All of those ripoffs
1: and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyen.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
0: President Biden spoke next, and it was a heartwarming speech about unity, recovery, and strength. But I gotta point out, at no point did he throw paper towels into a desperate crowd, raising the troubling question, is Biden too old to ricochet a roll of brawny off a pensioner's noggin? Coming up next on Fox
1: News, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know the media already want to move on, but the scale of the damage in Florida is staggering.
2: Yes, it is. Now, the search has ended for survivors of Hurricane Ian. The storm destroyed or damaged hundreds of thousands of homes, deepening the existing affordable housing crisis in the state, with many thousands now homeless, including a significant number of elderly retirees. Mm. The daunting task of cleanup has underscored another emerging factor, toxic mold that is setting in at water-damaged properties. Mm. The New York Times reports that mold is actually a growing problem across the entire country due to the increase in extreme rainfall events. And the report warns that mold could be one of the most devastating long-term hidden costs of man-made climate change which is increasing humidity, rainfall and storminess. Well,
1: the scientists never warned us about mold, now did they?
2: In Pakistan, 17% of the country is still flooded, two months after persistent torrential rainfall triggered catastrophic flooding that's submerged a third of the nation over the summer, its worst climate-driven disaster in history. The floods killed more than 1,700 people and destroyed more than one million homes. Now the United Nations says the beleaguered country is battling a second wave of catastrophe with malnutrition, malaria, cholera, dengue, and other waterborne diseases. It's the opposite problem in southern Africa, where a prolonged extreme heat wave has caused blackouts in nearly every nation. In Namibia and Madagascar, triple-digit temperatures and years of drought have decimated crops. The United Nations warns that Somalia and other impoverished African countries are on the verge of famine. Now, a new joint report released on Monday by the United Nations and the International Red Cross warns that these extremes are foreshadowing if governments. Fail Fail to cut emissions that cause global warming, the report warns that within decades, extreme heat waves will render some regions uninhabitable beginning around 2050. Areas predicted to, quote, exceed human physiological and social limits include the Sahel, the Horn of Africa and South Asia. It'll be
1: fun in a couple of decades to look back on all of these warnings and Wonder where we went wrong.
2: Extreme weather records are piling up, supercharged by man-made climate change. Australia's largest city, Sydney, has just clinched its wettest year on record since record-keeping began in the mid-1800s. It shattered its previous annual rainfall record with three months still to go in the rainy season, which has already triggered widespread flooding across New South Wales. But some good news.
3: It includes a target of zero new extinctions.
2: Australia has announced it will set aside at least 30% of its land mass for protection of endangered species in a bid to protect the nation's iconic animals and plants, species found nowhere else in the world, like koalas and kangaroos. According to a report published in July, Australia has lost more mammal species than any other continent.
1: Did she say the goal is zero new Extinctions. Yes. Okay, then.
2: And finally, in California, the state's Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom has called a special session of the state legislature to weigh enacting a windfall profit tax on oil companies. Gas prices have climbed sharply in the last few weeks in California for no apparent reason while staying steady or declining elsewhere. State regulators have asked refineries to explain why. Here's Governor Newsom. The
1: fact is, they're ripping you off. Their record
0: profits are coming at your expense. And that's why today I'm calling for a windfall tax to ensure these profits go directly back to help millions of Californians who are paying for this oil company extortion.
1: You know who I wish would explain themselves is every single Republican in the House that voted against a law banning price gouging by big oil. Although they don't need to explain it, I think we know why they did it.
2: The only question is, will they be held accountable for it?
1: For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle, And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doyan and yep. to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. No paywall. That is thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help support the work we do and keep us on your public airwaves every day. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Till we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.